My name is Moses. I'm 13 years old. And what Sabbath looks like for me, overall, I guess it's just kind of a time of rest and also restoration. Like, I mean, one, it's a time where you can just relax. It's, and from Friday night all the way to Saturday night, it's just peace. Yes, well, it is also a time of rest. It's also a time of healing to me. You have so many things you're weak. You have tons of unfinished tasks, anxieties. There's all these problems. And I think the hardest part would just be actually putting them down and just stopping. Well, also for Sabbath, at the very least, we would do, we'll just put away devices and undo any of them. One thing that I would say to encourage somebody to kind of start a Sabbath, I guess, that it's a time of rest. And that, like I said, it's a stopper for any, like, bad momentum or just things in your week or life. It's very calming. It's, I think it's overall very important just in kind of the state of self, just allowing you to be a lot happier too. It also allows you to just get off from the world and separate yourself from just culture and all of that, which can be good and can be bad, whatever it is. I think it just allows you to kind of separate yourself from that and just kind of be with God. And I think that is a really good time for anything really with God, whether it's connecting or learning from Him. So yeah. I thought about just finding him and asking him to preach today. <laughs> his name is Moses. You know, you gotta be pretty articulate if that's your name. So welcome. I'm so glad to be with you friends. And just to start our morning, take carving out some time to be with one another, to be with the Lord. I've mentioned before when I've preached here that I had a dearly beloved professor when I was in college named Dr. Irv Brenlinger, but he just was affectionately called Irv. And I've mentioned stories about him before, but as I was preparing for today, I remember him during finals week looking at all of us students and saying, when you get tired, if you are a student that has to drive a long ways home for Christmas break, when you get tired, Please, please pull over, stop, take a nap, find a safe parking lot, lock your doors. He told us to lock our doors and just rest because so many times students will get in car accidents. And so I remember this look of in, like sincerity when he said it. And sure enough, I was taking 18 credits that semester did college in three years, I was exhausted, and I found myself driving south on I-5 to Southern Oregon, literally playing that freeze-out game where you like roll down the windows and crank the bass and like, I was playing like, I don't know, Ice Ice Baby or something from the 90s and, and just like, stay awake, Olivia, to the point where you start dozing off and eventually you hear that rumble strip, caution, wake up, and you just alert yourself. And I could literally hear Irv see his sweet face saying, stop pull over and rest. And so I did. I pulled over. I can still remember this spot on I-5. Whenever we drive by it, I'm like, good job pulling over. Who knows if I'd be here today? And I locked my doors and I took a very long nap. And then I made it home eventually. Today we are in week two of a four-week teaching series on Sabbath rest that is made up of four movements, which we are defining each Sunday as stop, rest, delight, and worship. And this is week two, so we are on rest. I find it like a cosmic joke that I'm preaching today on rest, actually. If you know me, you might know why. I, I feel like imposter syndrome being up here, if I'm being honest with you. I feel like a Sabbath fraud. 
And part of it is because I, since I graduated college, I've been in ministry. So Sunday is not a day of rest for me, if I'm being honest. Um, but normally I like to have a lot of like lived equity when I'm speaking about something because being congruent is important to me. I, I don't like hypocrisy. I want to be the same person on stage as I am behind closed doors. And yet here I am preaching to you today on Sabbath, feeling like a lot of other people like Moses could do a much better job. But thankfully, the word of God is the authority and not me. Thankfully, the word of God is alive and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it is going to be our teacher today, thankfully. So before we get started, a few words that I want to just clarify about language, like semantics and meaning around Sabbath and freedom. And this will be on the screen behind me, but the biggest thing I want to take away in this whole series is that Sabbath is a gift, right? It's a blessing and not a burden. In fact, when Jesus talks about Sabbath, he says in Mark that the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So God gave us this gift of rest so we, it could meet our needs, not so we could like check off another box. Did the Sabbath, you know, and feel this legalistic, you know, requirement to do it. And then if we look at the very last time that Sabbath is mentioned in scripture, the very last word about it, it's in the New Testament in Colossians. And literally some of your Bibles will, will title this section freedom from human rules, right? Not God's rules, but human rules. And it says this, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink because they were getting kind of nitpicky, um, really persnickety in the, old, in the New Testament about do we eat meat? Do we not eat meat? Are we vegan? Are we like total carnivores? How much wine do we drink? They were getting very picky about it and judging each other. And it says, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so I just want to clarify, as you hear this word Sabbath through this whole month and this whole series, that we're not saying there is one specific day of the week that is Sabbath. For me, I honestly really try to make Monday my Sabbath. Our staff knows that. Um, some of my good friends know that. I'm really a work in progress on it, but I try to make Monday. It's also my least favorite day of the week, but I'm like, there's not a lot happening on Monday. Um, so if I could like get a pedicure on a Monday, to me, that would be a great Sabbath start. But I try to carve that out because Sunday isn't, you know, my day of rest. Um, around 1969, like the late 60s, early 70s is when 7-Eleven, which had been open from 7 to 11, um, started being open 24 hours a day. And so if you look at that time period and then what happened after that, like no, no day was really shut down in our culture. It's like Fred, Fred Meyer, the only day that it's closed is Christmas, right, of the entire year. And so we just started becoming this 24-hour culture. And even when I was like playing sports in high school, which in my mind wasn't that long ago, um, we, I remember our coaches wouldn't do a Wednesday night practice. They would like kind of guard 6 to 8 p.m. and not, not schedule practice because they knew that youth group was like the universal youth group night in the 90s was like Wednesday night. And now there's no time off, right? And so you get to pick when your Sabbath day is. And also, you know, sweet little Moses mentioned their family. He's John Mark Comer's son, so he's got Sabbath probably down. But, but they practice it Friday night to Saturday. 
And 24 hours is obviously what it describes in the Old Testament. Like they, they measured their days by sundown to sundown because they didn't have electricity. So they went to bed when the sun went down. But I just want you to know, like, if we're counting the hours, if you're worried about the hours, we're missing the point. We need rest. And I think we can all agree that we are exhausted as a people and we need rest. When we were at this, this conference where our, our whole staff went with a lot of pastors in Portland from all over the country, we were talking about spiritual formation and all these practices like Sabbath and fasting and prayer and hospitality. We had this Q&A time. So some brave soul raises their hand and says, like, what about legalism? When we're teaching our congregations, when we're teaching our churches about this, what if people are worried about it becoming legalistic? And John Mark Comer said, his answer was, we're living in such a lukewarm time that anything that resembles discipleship is dismissed as legalism because it's so lukewarm. So, so we're kind of on the opposite side, like in the New Testament, when Jesus is saying, don't get so worried about this, like, I'm your rest, and don't get picky about the hours, and if you're picking grain on the Sabbath and all the things, they were so legalistic. We're like on the other end. We're like, we're craving, I think, I'm craving spiritual formation. And so my, my challenge to myself and to all of us today is to find that sweet spot between accessibility, like what can I actually do, and challenge. You know, like when I'm coaching track and we're giving people workouts, I can't start on day one with like, we're doing all the hills, we're doing all the stadium stairs. Like we've got to start somewhere accessible, right? I don't want to kill them on the first day. But you still want that tension of like, what's enough challenge? And so that's, that's my goal is to find that sweet spot. And I invite you today when I'm using the word Sabbath to literally just think of the word rest um, because I think we all are pretty worn out and that's when I just hear Irv and I hear Jesus saying to me, when you are tired, not if because we know we're going to get tired, but when you are tired, pull over and stop because I love you. That's the bottom line. Like Jesus gives us to this gift of rest because he loves us. So would you stand with me? We're going to start today by looking at the first time Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible. And this is from Genesis 2 in the NIV, and it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can have a seat. So I'm going to throw up on the screen this word rested, rest. And this is the Hebrew, which I'm going to just say that I would say it Shabbat um, in Hebrew. That's where we get our English word Sabbath. And it's also where in Spanish you say Sabado, which is Saturday. Um, in Espanol. And this word literally in all those languages means the same thing. It means rest. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to start by just giving you three real life examples of how God has built rest literally into the fabric of our world and the fabric of our everyday lives. The first one is in farming. And do we have any farmers? Are there anyone in here who feels like they, they know farming a little bit? No, not too many. Okay, a little bit. Um, 
The idea of resting land dates back to ancient Israel and is found in multiple places in Exodus and Leviticus. And when I was preparing for this sermon, I found a website, a farmer's website, and the title of this particular article is Why Soil Needs As Much Rest As We Do. And there'll be some pictures on the screen. I love, this is not a like Christian website. This is just basics, but it's amazing how God is in everything. And they had these pictures, and I don't know if you can read it up there, but I'll read it to you. They said this, the idea of foregoing productivity is hard for many of us, myself included, to comprehend in a society that is so driven by results and numbers and quarterly earnings. But these farmers are really onto something. Have you ever seen the difference in the produce from good, hardy, earthy soil and from soil that has been depleted, artificially fertilized, and usurped some more? And then it goes on to say at the end of this website, we are grateful to our growers for choosing to trust the restorative process of rest above the idea of constantly maximizing yield at any cost. They are an example to us in many ways. May we learn something from these folks while enjoying their harvests. And when I was like deep diving into this article, it was talking about even like the way the soil, when it's just like beaten over year after year after year and never gets rest, that literally the soil itself cannot absorb the water it should. And it's, it's like dehydrated, basically. And so then all these other problems happen chemically. And so it's just so fascinating to me that even back in the Old Testament, God is saying, you got to rest the land. He said, every seven years, you actually just have to let it sit. And then we see, which I'm a little partial to, rest in music. And I want to show you and let you hear the very, very end of the Hallelujah Chorus. I wish that Danielle could be up here directing it and we could all sing, but I want you to listen. This is the very end. This is the very last page of notation, and it sounds like this. you, Phil. You can leave that up there for a minute, Heather. So I will not go into lots of music there, even though that would be super fun. But <laughs> what I hear when I picture this song, if you listen to the whole thing, which is amazing, goosebumps, is like I picture God creating the earth. And I don't know why, but like I start to think of Spider-Man and like, or Elsa in Frozen, where they're just like, whoosh, whoosh, like Hawaiian Islands, go, you know, Grand Canyon, like Iceland and Oh, then throw out like galaxies and just God just like this masterpiece and it's accumulating and it's getting bigger and bigger and the dynamics are growing and it's fortissimo and then all of a sudden you have these two quarter rests and I was thinking about that and I was like even if I rested for a quarter of 24 hours which is six hours that would be a good start right just a quarter rest but we get two quarter rests in here and I feel like that's like the seventh day of creation where he's like that's pretty good. You know, and then we have the hallelujah, hallelujah, where like creation is just like answering back to him. Like, this is a good thing. And it's amazing because even in the Psalms, if you've ever wondered this word selah in the Psalms, it happens around 70 times and around three times in the book of Habakkuk. It's literally this musical um, term that is strategically placed to help us pause and understand the feeling and intention of the music. It's like this little interlude that calls us to rest and is a purposeful pause to position ourselves to read the Psalms and go, 
like that's amazing. Like take it all in and receive the living and active word. I, early on when I was a musician, I learned that there's something called like a wall of sound when it's just like everyone's playing, like go, just everybody play. And I actually don't like a wall of sound unless it's like really intentional because I think the best musicians know when not to play, right? Like the, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna come in at the right spot because I don't want just this long wall of sound. And sometimes I feel like that's how my week is, like this long, like just go, 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 100%. And there's never the beautiful rest. Like that's one of the most goosebump parts of the song when everyone, like when the conductor says, we're gonna stop together and then we're gonna come back. And so I wanna play one more fun, because I'm in charge and I get to play this today, one more snippet of how rests make everything better. All right, Phil, hit it. I'm gonna try not to dance and embarrass my children. Okay, so all of those yellow things are rest. Thank you, Phil. You're the best DJ ever today. Um, <laughs> so, and these are quick rests, right? The other one, we had quarter rests. Well, we got, some, we got some other bigger rests at the beginning, but all these little tiny ones, we've got some eighth rests happening, some quick ones. They literally make this song fun. If we didn't have rests, I thought about trying to sing this for you without rests, but it, it just wouldn't be good, trust me. Rests make everything better. We also see rest in scripture and in just real life in our bodies, in our physical bodies, this need for rest. And I love that Jesus himself modeled that. So many times in scripture, Jesus will just get away. It's like he disappears for a little bit. He retreats. He goes and finds a quiet place. And he withdraws to have time alone, especially if you read, you know, in the Gospels, these really busy days when he, he is just like people are demanding so much from him. And then he just kind of disappears for a little bit because he has to, right? He even, and this whole scene where Jesus takes a nap on a boat in the middle of the storm, I used to read that and honestly get kind of, like I would be the disciples in the story and I'm like, why are you falling asleep on me? And I would think about times in my life where I felt like Jesus was absent or silent or like, where are you, God? And I'm starting to now in my life read it from the perspective of Jesus and not the disciples. Like, he really needed a nap. Like, that's how bad he needed a nap. That it's like the, the boat's like this and he is that tired. He knew when his body needed physical rest and he was unapologetic about it. And so we see this in athletics, like recovery days. If you're an athlete, I'm, I know we have a lot of athletes and student athletes in here, or runners, Merit, there's some I, people who've done Iron Man, Iron Woman in here. I don't even claim to know how tough you are, but it's amazing because, you know, when we have big days, like when, when I'm coaching track and we have big meets and we're doing a lot of stuff, the very next day we don't say, okay, it's gonna be a heavy leg day today, like hit the weight room, let's do all the squats. We know we have recovery days. In fact, they say like the difference between very professional Olympic level athletes and like regular athletes is knowing when to rest. And there's a beautiful story of physical rest that is one of my favorites. It's tucked into Genesis 33 and it's when Jacob and his brother Esau, if you know anything about their story, if you don't, they were two brothers and they had a huge, huge fight to the point where Jacob is taking basically the birthright, which we would say the will of his brother. He's taking everything. 
and you think about today when somebody dies and there's big fights in families over all this stuff, it was like that, but like 10 times worse because it also had spiritual connotations. So they had this huge, huge dysfunctional riff in their family and they, they literally physically separate. And finally, after much time, they are reunited in this beautiful story of reconciliation. And this is what happens. They're like, they have all their herds, like they're traveling and they've got all these people, like hundreds of people with them and their animals. And I picture this scene of like coming together. And this is what happens after they like hug and reconcile. Jacob says to his brother Esau, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one more day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. And this is like this incredible story. Like I said, it's kind of buried in here. But the, the reason I know this is because one of my closest friends lost her mom to cancer a few years ago. And she was really struggling afterwards with just the amount of grief because her mom died so young and there was so much life left to live, so many things she wanted to do with her mom. And she, she, this scripture really just spoke to her and she said, I need to go the pace of the animals and the children. And have you ever tried to like herd animals or children, like even out the door? It is not a quick process, especially if they're little, like where's your other shoe? I don't know, you know? And this pace, this slow pace, where he's literally having to speak up to his brother he just reconciled with. I don't know about you, but I don't like inconveniencing people, especially if I've had some weird, awkward thing, and then I feel like, by the way, I know we're, we're besties again, but I need a favor. I am gonna, we're going to die. We've been traveling so long. We've been going so hard, and literally, we cannot make it one more day. And I would just say to you as my friends, as my church family, I think all of us come to a point in life where we need to tell those people closest to us, we need to tell our community and our loved ones, I cannot keep going at this pace. I need to go the pace of the animals and the children for a while. And I think sometimes that comes with massive grief. I think sometimes it's because of a huge physical thing, like a really scary health diagnosis. It can be because of inner turmoil relationally where we just need to rest. We need to go at a different pace and not feel bad about it, not feel guilty about it because we know we really can't keep going. And I would just encourage you today with that because rest is literally built into the fabric of God's world and it is a good thing which is why later in scripture it's commanded by God in Exodus 20, which is where we get the Ten Commandments. And so I'm going to have these on the screen behind me. What's really interesting, I think, when we look at these is that, you know, they're, they're for today. We, we want to obviously have no other gods. We don't want to steal. We don't want to commit adultery. We don't want to bear false witness. It's a really big deal against your neighbor, like lie about your neighbor. We do not want to covet my sister said, make sure you mention we don't covet donkeys. That's what the Old Testament says. Um, all the possessions, the spouse, the donkeys. In my day and age, it's like, don't covet your neighbor's Telluride, Kia. I really like those SUVs, you guys. And every time they drive by, I'm like, don't covet, Liv, don't covet. 
But all of these things are super important. I think we would agree for today in 2023, we still want to follow the Ten Commandments. And yet, interestingly, remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, keeping a time designated in our regular rhythm of life to rest, I, I break it all the time, right? And I, it's almost like we, we've made it like the acceptable sin, like workaholism, like it's a good thing almost. And it's really interesting. And so when you look at the, the Ten Commandments, they're actually recorded twice in Scripture. The first time is in Exodus 20, when the Israelites have come out of slavery after 400 and some years, and they are at the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai, and they're going to have to figure out how to live in the desert together, right? And so God gives them these Ten Commandments for covenant living, for living in a, in a community together. And then the second time God gives the Ten Commandments is in Deuter- Deuteronomy 5 on the edge of the Jordan River right before they're going to go in the, to the Promised Land. But this is 40 years later, right, after the first Ten Commandments. And so this is a totally new generation. A lot of those people have died off that heard it the first time around, or they were really little kids. And now they're not going into a desert. They're going into a land with milk and honey, and it's lush and beautiful. And we know that sometimes, like, prosperity breeds amnesia. Like, when things are really good, I don't know about you, but I'm like, have I prayed lately? Things, I'm, I just kind of get independent and self-sufficient because things are fine. And so God is telling them, again, the same exact Ten Commandments, but this time he adds a little P.S. And so I want to throw... Um, on the screen. Heather, if you could go to the passage where we have Exodus and Deuteronomy side by side. So here's the first time he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he says this, um, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your households may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. And then this is kind of the why. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. This is our hallelujah course, right? But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart. Forty years later, he tells them the same thing, this new generation ready to go into this beautiful, lush, green land, where it's a lot going to be a lot easier. And he, the beginning is all pretty much the same. And then you get to the end, and he says, this is the why. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath. So it's a little bit different. The main difference is that The rationale in the first time in in Exodus is grounded in creation. Like God rested, so we should rest. In Deuteronomy, it's grounded in liberation. I have literally rescued you. I am your redeemer. So at Sinai, the first time, it's about rhythm. Build this in. You've been coming out of Pharaoh where you've had no Sabbath. And then the second time, it's I have redeemed you. So really, Sabbath is an act of resistance, both external things coming at us and internal resistance. Egypt is oftentimes, if you have read the Bible at all, it's a biblical metaphor for doubting God because they always want to go back and they they talk about going back because he fed them well, or at least fed them some, like they want their steak. So they 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 always want to go back to Egypt and live into themselves. And there's these opposing forces to us experiencing rest. 
Because in the story, Pharaoh is a cruel tyrant. No matter how hard the Hebrews worked, he wanted more and more and more. He wanted more bricks, build the things. And they lived under the oppressive yoke of a daily quota and an economic system built on the back of slavery. And slaves don't get a Sabbath. Rest comes when you are free, right? So the new command is, remember, you're not slaves anymore. You're a new kingdom and you have a new capital K king. And there's no daily quota. And so God reminds them, remember where you came from because they are about to enter this new land. Don't forget. Don't forget all these things. And this is the key. Also, don't become a slave driver yourself, which is why it says the command, like, everybody gets a Sabbath, the male and female servants, the foreigner, even the animals. Everybody gets a rest. Under Sabbath, all are equal. Tim Keller has a um, really powerful quote about this in an article called The Power of Deep Rest. And he says this, and here's where I would say, here's the tension, here's the part of the workout where I'm like, I have to do 20 burpees, really? I don't think I can even do 10. But here's the tension. Anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave, even a self-imposed one. Your own heart, our materialistic culture, or an exploitive organization, or all of the above will be abusing you if you don't have the ability to be disciplined in your practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means you are not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes. That's a hard one. Your medical school's demands not even to your own insecurities. It is important that you learn to speak this truth to yourself with a note of triumph. Otherwise, you will feel guilty for taking time off or you will be, able, be unable to truly unplug. Yes. A few months ago, I came across this beautiful digital art on Instagram, and it looks like this. It says, rest is a war. And I saved it because I thought this is how I feel. And it's a little poem that this author called Sword and Pencil wrote, and it says this, rest is a war, and it's a war I normally lose. At some level, I've bought into a kind of cultural way of life. I tend to work myself ragged, endure, push through, fight, till I drop the blood, the sweat, the tears. And then, just before I collapse into utter ruin, I plunge in the most lazy, self-indulgent abyss of dormancy imaginable. That tends to be our two extremes, this brutal workaholism and a sort of sluggish lethargy. Neither are good. Neither are refreshing or restorative. Both destroy us. We need a better way. We need to learn to work hard and to rest well. And often, because we don't know how to fight for rest, we bounce between the excessive extremes. And he goes on to say, I tend to always need a reset at this time of year, a time to stop the excess and commit to a more intentional way of life. I try to commit to prioritizing three aspects of my life by doing something for my walk with God, something for a fast, and something for my body. Underneath these commitments is the realization that I tend to find rest when these areas of my life are deliberate. He says, this isn't about doing tons of stuff. This isn't about the Pharisees, right, and the check in the box, and overcommitting. That's the extreme. It's about setting up times of discipline in order to set your mind, soul, and heart on Jesus. It's about continually teaching my body what it means to serve Jesus. Super good. So this past week, I reached out to the interwebs and I asked this question, what are your barriers to Sabbath rest, to experiencing rest? If I look at that photo of, the, of this struggle, of it actually being a war, what 
what is that beast that is fighting with us for rest in your own life? And I, in just about four days, got 60 answers on Facebook or Instagram or people personally messaging me because that's how tired we are. That's how much people want to say, like, these are the barriers. So behind me, you'll see I consolidated these answers into a graphic. And what I really noticed with people's answers and responses is that we have external ones and then we have these internal ones. You think about really practical, practical things like, hey, we need to eat, <laughs> work. Some people I know have two jobs or two and a half jobs. It's very expensive to live right now. Oregon is, the last time I checked, the fourth most expensive state in the country. It's a real thing. Finances, school, kids, homework, housework, chores, health situations. Some people personally messaged me and said, I have ADD or ADHD. It's really hard for me to literally rest and turn my brain off. And there's other health situations that make it very hard. Families where one person is a Christian and the others aren't. How do you explain why you want a Sabbath? There's relational things like broken relationships, people's expectations. When I saw that picture of this like wrestling match with this like beast and it's a war, I had to do some internal work. And I discovered for me, and I will just be 100% vulnerable with you, that I have an inordinate preoccupation of what other people think of me. And so for me, the biggest barrier to my Sabbath rest is constantly worrying that I am letting somebody down, that I'm not coming through for them and that they're gonna think less of me because of it. And so expectations is a huge deal. Numerous people mentioned that. I mean, and that's like an idol, right? Ultimately, it's my image is more important than like what God thinks of me. Being a caregiver to family, there are people I know, even in this congregation, who have children with special needs. There are people who are taking care of their aging parents, and it's really hard for them to ever let down and rest because they're constantly trying to take care of their loved ones. Unresolved conflict, lack of family support, being a helper. Numerous people just said, it's really hard because I'm a helper. <clears throat> Internally, sin, regret, lack of peace, so many people said the need to feel productive, that their worth is tied to how much they can do. I can't tell you how many people said that. Ego, I, only I can do this. I have to do this. I'm the only one. I said all these things before. <laughs> Feeling guilty if I rest. So many people feel guilty if you rest. Not trusting Jesus, fear of letting people down. Yes and amen. Low self-worth, anxiety, worry, feeling like I have to earn it, that all of my worth is based on my accomplishments. And then we have this poor sad emoji, which is how I feel a lot of the time, like all the things, and I'm dropping the coffee and spilling it on myself. Events, all the events, right? Extracurricular, the volunteering, the community groups, the responsibilities, the never-ending to-do list, always in the back of our mind. And then obviously my phone. If I had put in how big of a font people said phone, you know, the amount of answers, it would be like, my phone in all caps. The constant pull of an overstimulating world, somebody said. Social media, distractions, all the instant accessibility. I didn't know my pastor's cell phone number growing up because he didn't have a cell phone. Like if I had to get a hold of my pastor, I think I'd have to go to a church office, right? We have accessibility to each other 24-7. Lack of boundaries, solitude feels impossible, somebody said. 
<clears throat> so we have all of these barriers that are real life. And I think about people who have on-call jobs, who are parents. You know, I, I had someone just message me like, being a mom. And I remembered when I saw her comment this time that my husband came home. We had had a brand new baby. He had just gone back to work. And I was like, I mean, as Anne of Green Gables says, like in the depths of despair, like I was so stinking tired. And I, our, our old house had like the floor heaters. I don't know why they stopped making those. I'm sure there's a good reason about heat rising and stuff. But I love the floor heaters because I would sit, when she, my daughter would take a nap, I would sit on the floor heater and I could see the TV. And I think I had like Oprah on or something and a bowl of cereal. And I'm literally sitting with a blanket over the heater. And he comes in the door and he comes over to me all huddled with my cereal. He's like, how was your day? And you know what I said? Because the dishes were piling. I had done nothing in the house. I had kept a baby alive, so that was kind of a big deal. But I said, babe, it's all going to burn. And he's like, what? Are you talking about? I think at that point, he's like, oh, Jesus, help me. And I literally was like, everything. Like, it's just all going to burn one day. What's the point of doing dishes? Like, what's the point of it all? And, I mean, I was going like revelation on him, you know. It was, it was a little scary. But I think he was like, okay, what deep breaths. <laughs> Feed her the cereal. <laughs> just, um, and it's real. You know, being a parent, all of the things we, we are doing, so just keep going every 24 hours. And that is why I want to end today by talking about what Jesus says about the Sabbath. He literally says in Matthew, do good on the Sabbath. He has times where the disciples are literally so hungry because they've been ministering. And so they go into like a grain wheat field and they're picking grain on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees get all, you know, worked up about it. And Jesus is like, we have to eat. And it's okay to eat. You know, it's okay to do some things on the Sabbath. But the biggest thing is that Jesus notices people that are hurting on the Sabbath. He notices, like, I think he would notice the exhausted parent on the Sabbath. Or the person that is like checking their bank account all the time. He would notice the person that is like, I'm lonely on the Sabbath. In fact, if you look at these seven miracles that he does, they're all on the Sabbath when he's not supposed to be, quote, working. Because he cares, right? He, he wants to show people, I am El Roy. I am the God that sees you. All of these different things he does for people. Tim Keller, in the same article I mentioned earlier, says this. We have these two things where we've got God telling us we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. It says that in Galatians. And then we're also supposed to come to him, all who are weary and burdened, and he will give us rest. And we're supposed to literally cast all our cares on him. So Tim Keller says, which is it? Are we to look to God to support us under our work and burdens or to other Christian brothers and sisters? Obviously, the answer is both. Because it is normally through the sympathy and encouragement of Christian friends that we experience God refreshing us and supporting us in our work. I'd like to invite the worship team up. And as I do, I, I, when I think of that, uh, that quote, I have so many like flashbacks of people literally doing this for me. It's like the Bill Withers song, Lean on Me. 
you've ever looked at the lyrics, it's profound. It's, it's biblical in that song. One of the verses says, if you have a load that you can't bear, that you can't carry, I'm right up the road. I'll share your load if you just call me. When a few years ago, when I had been diagnosed with a heart condition, which really rocked my world in my late 30s, I just needed a haircut. <laughs> and usually for women, like, it's like I needed a haircut like weeks ago, and I had had zero self-care. I was just trying to like go to doctor's appointments and take medication on time and try to be present for my three small kids at the time. And I called one of my friends up who's a hairdresser, and I, I said, do you have any time to squeeze me in? And she was telling me, and she worked in a shop at the time where it was like Sweet Magnolias, like everybody sits next to each other. And um, it, you could, it's like a fishbowl, like you just hear all the conversations. And I thought, I cannot fall apart in front of a bunch of people right now. Like if she even says, how are you doing? And hugs me, I'm gonna be a wreck. And so I just said, you know, that's okay. I'll just get my hair cut later. And she could tell, like, I just needed rest. And so she said, you know what, I'm going to, because she had keys to the salon, she said, I'm, why don't you come in the evening when nobody's here, and I'm, it's just going to be you and me, and I'm going to give you the best deep scalp massage of your life. <laughs> and Which if you've never had one, I would highly encourage it. It was literally the best. And so in her mind, I don't even know if she remembers this to this day, but it was a really big deal to me. Because she came, and, and at, at night I went in, and it was just her and I, and I just wept as she like rubbed my head, cut my hair, highlighted my hair, made me feel like a million bucks. And she just listened to me. And she didn't try to fix it. And she just, just was bearing witness and giving me rest. And that's the beautiful thing of the Sabbath is it's this gift because Jesus knows we are going to need to pull over. We're going to need to stop. And it's this beautiful picture to me, what my friend Laura did, where it's like she was literally the hands of Jesus. And I get to rest in the, my trust with Jesus, and I also get to experience it through the body of Christ. It's a both and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let's pray together. Lord, we just take a breath. We just say we need you. And I love that when we get to bear each other's burdens, we get to see you. We get to remember that you are real and that you love us, that you care about your kids. You care about their rest and not just a good nap, but like soul, body, mind, spirit rest. And that ultimately you are going to give that to us unlike anything in this world, Lord. I pray right now that whatever came to mind when we saw that picture of this wrestling match, rest is a war, that we would give that to you right now. We would name it. And if it's something beyond our control, Lord, we ask that you would intervene, that you would see us. If it's something, Lord, that is on our own accord, if it's an internal thing, if it's something we're bad, I pray, Jesus, that you would just let us drop it. Let us let, us let go of it. That we would see our worth in you and you alone. I thank you for the gift of rest, Lord, that you want it for everybody. In your powerful, beautiful name we say, amen.